Sonic Statesman.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sonic Talk number... Oh, what is it? It's 74 today. Good Lord. Um, and it's on the recording on the 6th of February, uh, 2008, uh, going live on the 7th of February. Um, last week was Nam. This week, uh, we got the gang together again. And let me just welcome, uh, we got two people stateside. I'll start with Rich Hilton because he's at the top of the list. I don't think it works alphabetically, but who knows? So, Mr. Rich Hilton from Connecticut, how the devil are you? Very, very well. And you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm feeling kind of, uh, last week I was still kind of tired and getting over the illness of Nam. And now I feel kind of back together and sort of fairly normal. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a nice change. I feel my voice is, is, is okay. And I detect your voice is uh, sounding okay as well, because I believe you've uh, got a new addition to the, the gadget family there. Yes, I'm currently romancing my new Apogee Duet interface. Ooh. I'm loving it. Is that the one that's two channels for sort of two, $900 or something? It's $500, and uh, it is two channels in and out. And it's designed by Apogee to be compatible with Apple's products in general, you know, GarageBand, Logic, MainStage, stuff like that. And I got it in pursuit of my wish to use MainStage as part of my live presentation with Sheik. And uh, was, I've been messing with it and with the MainStage software ah, and quite cool. enjoying it. Hey, well, let's come back to that because I've got uh, um, something I can add to that one. But uh, anyway, great to cool. have you aboard, um, Rich. Thank you. Good to be back. And okay, let's move to our second uh, US uh, contributor. It's Mr. PJ Tracy. Good morning, Nick. In Minneapolis, um, a bit sunnier this week, I believe. Not the minus 26 that it was last week. <laughs> no, much warmer here this morning. Almost 30 degrees Fahrenheit. So tell me, do you have your milk delivered by like a milkman? Does that happen in the States? <laughs> and if so, no. how does it work? I mean, because you put, you put milk in the minus 26 degrees and it's just going to kind of turn to a, a, a large popsicle, isn't it? Oh, most definitely. No, we have to run out to the store for the milk and we turn into large popsicles on our way over. <laughs> Right, I see. Yeah. <laughs> so, have you had a good yeah. week, then, PJ? Yeah, actually, um, one of the one of the film projects that I've been collaborating on with a mate of mine, we got it into the Walker Art Center, which is sort of our premier modern art museum in Minneapolis. Um, so, we attended a film festival this weekend Ooh. and watched our film in in the museum, and it was uh, it was a real treat. Wow, did you get to wear a tuxedo and do the red carpet with your, uh, your <laughs> lovely fiancé? No, unfortunately I didn't. She had to work. Oh, man. <laughs> I, att- I attended the festival. No tuxedos were involved. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> congratulations. Uh, glad to have you aboard. Thank you. Uh, and also, Mr. Mark Tinley, back uh, again. Um, glad you could make it, because I know you're in some doubt as to whether it would work out with your schedule, but it seems like it's working out today. Has- glad to have you with us. I've used a secret weapon. Uh-oh. I've been storing it uh, for this particular occasion, which is, of course, Cars, the film Cars. So but, your, uh, your, your kind of um, parental decision to perhaps cut down on TV has just gone totally out of the window. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, my parental decision never to let him watch that movie again seems to be, uh, uh, yeah, I've taken a U-turn on that. But basically, uh, that. That movie, he seems to be behaving in a, some very odd ways. He thinks he's a racing car at the moment. Ah, uh, well. I'm probably reinforcing that right now, aren't I? I expect so, but it's not to worry. Not to worry. The only thing he wants to watch, though, so hey. What, you know. Well, thank I you. Thank okay. you very much for putting the needs of yourself before your child um, for us this week. 
And I'm sure, I'd just like to say, um, read the show notes, it's in the very small print at the bottom that say that we are in no way responsible for any any problems that may arise. <laughs> I want to mention something. That Please I've do. Done. Uh, last year, I joined Huntington Male Voice Choir. I don't know if I told you that. Yeah, you did. You mentioned it last time we were on. And uh, yeah. there, a chap said he was looking for you on Huntington Station <laughs> on Christmas Eve, but he must have missed you. In oh, fact, he's okay. still there. Yeah, well, I'd like to mention us. I'd like to mention our audio CD. Oh, please do. We have released and have for sale a CD of about twelve or thirteen traditional tracks, and it's very good. And that's all I need to say about it. Are you putting? You're going to put it on iTunes? No. Going to make it available for download? No. Three hundred and twenty kbps. I hope at least. I think you can go to Huntington Male Voice Choir's website and order it. Though I'm pretty sure. Okay. I'm sure we'll be able to get it on BitTorrent one of these days. Um, yes, well, that's what I'm worrying about. I mean, this, this is a bunch I just, of, you know, I just found I'm it. The, I'm one of the, you didn't. Uh, no. I'm one, of the, I'm one of the younger members. I'm like 44, and a lot of the guys are sort of seven, 70, 80 years old. And, um, you know, they've, they've pressed up something like 2,000 of these CDs, and they need to sell them to make the money back. And I'm thinking, all it takes is one person to turn that into MP3s and put it on the internet. And that's it. Game over. Nobody will sell any more CDs. I'm just sort of hoping that their core audience is old enough that they won't know how to do it. Well, that's probably right. I mean, 2,000 copies if, uh, is, uh, I mean, you know, that's quite a lot to shift. I mean, I think I, my first album didn't sell that many, and I had the weight of a major record label behind it. <laughs> 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 oh well, well, well we'll see what happens I'm but sure they'll luck. break well, even at some point and have send us the links and, and we'll encourage our listeners to, to buy it just out of um just for, for charity's sake yeah sh- it all goes to a good cause anyway we can and, all link to you on myspace yeah exactly you want a yeah. myspace pa- page or something or whatever they've got a, i should suggest that actually i don't think they've got a myspace page Maybe you can I put I some teasers up there yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. Maybe you should do one of those kind of um, calendars. Should have done a kind of naked male voice choir calendar <laughs> thing for Christmas. <laughs> well, my body's pretty dodgy, so I get. I, I, I guess the older guys probably look a bit worse than me. <laughs> yeah, you know, wiry. I, let the yeah, ad. Let's not go there. But maybe something for next year, Mark. If the sales don't go as planned, lousy March weather. <laughs> Mr. Dave Spears, I heard you chuckling in the background. Uh, Dave Spears, of course, g4software.com. Hello. Purveyors of fine competitions. <laughs> yeah, the, arguably the most difficult competition in the world. Yes, uh, Dave, uh, you are running a competition that is uh, for a free ch- um, instrument of your choice, uh, a G4 software instrument of your choice, obviously. You have to identify, um, there's 20 pictures from NAM taken of sort of various bits of NAM stands. Some of them are very easy to identify. Some of them are very difficult. Um, but um, I would personally encourage you to, if you're listening, to go and have a go, even if you didn't go to NAM, because you do stand a chance, because it's so difficult that you might well win anyway. It's quite possible, yeah. So anyway, Dave, how's things been? Have you, uh, yeah. you, you sound recovered and fresh and uh, all the post-NAM business out, out of the way? Uh, nearly. Nearly. Yeah, we're getting there. Good, good. Yeah, we finished. I think we got 70, well, about 69 videos up. God knows how many news items. Um, so, yeah, we're kind of quite pleased with ourselves. And one of the things, obviously, we try and be first and fastest. That's our little catchphrase. 
Um, but I don't think anybody else was doing it really in the same to the same degree. I mean, obviously you get the bloggers and, and the kind of solo people, but not not on mass kind of. So you know, we, we feel we've all got shiny fingernails and we're feeling very pleased with ourselves. And it was worth all the pain, suffering, illness, and kind of lack of sleep. <laughs> hey, hey! But hey. anyway. I'm not looking for sympathy, and even if I was, I certainly didn't get any, did I? So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, across the bunch of you, I got—I felt like I was being very well informed and entertained watching videos <laughs> of uh, Dave and hearing Nick's voice and hearing PJ's outstanding podcast. It was great. Oh, you said so the nicest almost things, like Rich. being there. Yeah, well, uh, probably better than being there, I'd imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. The videos no, we, were pretty compelling. We had a good time. It was. It all went very smoothly, and it's always nice when things work out. This is Eric Persing. You're listening to Sonic Talk on SonicState.com. Uh, Rich and Mark, um, were there any things that you kind of that stood out for you that perhaps we didn't notice that you were thinking, "Wow, that was really cool." Well, I it couldn't have been anything that you didn't notice because everything I know about this thing has to do with watching your videos. <laughs> but uh, uh, a number of things stood out, both equipment-wise and performance. That guy at the boss booth was unbelievable, Rob wasn't Marcello. He, yeah, wasn't he great? Incri- I just was, my, my jaw was on the floor. And uh, yeah, many different interesting little pieces of gear. I'm praying for Automap Universal 2.0, literally, um, because I find the 1.0 quite half-baked and i'm looking forward to 2.0 and being able to actually use it i think that comes with the novation nocturne controller which i don't think we did mention and that was pretty cool i know we've got it in the show notes it's at the bottom Um, but that that was pretty cool and i think that uses automat version 2 yes i'd have to check yeah they say it's shipping with it actually and uh, they've not made it available yet to the rest of their user base but i await it with open arms yeah, that's very cool, because they, they, they hasn't got any displays on it, but it's got a very nifty kind of transparent kind of display window that just pops up on your screen, and you can switch it on and off just by pressing one of the buttons on the controller, which is, it actually, if you think about it, it's a bloody great idea, and they've really innovated with it, and it's what, I think it's 69 quid or 149 bucks, which just seems immensely cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're going to do well with that, and I'd definitely like to check one out, because it, it just seemed to have lots of really cool ideas and brilliant little sort of nicely engineered things it seems like the focus right innovation team are really um the you know cooking at the moment um what about you mark like rich anything i found out about it has been from looking at your side um i don't have anything to say really. well that's fair enough <laughs> I'm i mean quite happy making that... music with what i've got at the moment yeah so. there is that isn't there I'm just not... kind of focus on what you got and uh, don't worry about it. okay well sonicstate.com now we've got that out of the way, um, why don't we um, move on to, uh, this was a kind of mergers and acquisitions themed show um, for the first couple of to- topics, because obviously there's a few, there's been some various shenanigans, higher and low, lower profile ones. I mean, obviously the, the, the really big news was the uh, Microsoft thing, but we'll look at that later. Um, one of the announcements at, uh, at NAM was that Roland are buying a major share in Cakewalk. When talking to the guys at Roland, talking to the guys at Cakewalk, you sort of feel like it was it was just natural, because I mean, they've been kind of dating for years haven't they and it's sort of now they're just sort of making an honest woman out of getting married if you like they don't actually own the company um it looks like it's going to lead to kind of various branded and co-joint venture um hardware software bundles so like there'll be a cakewalk branded audio interfaces and things like that so uh i guess pj you're a a, a, a pc guy so it might you know mean more to you it it actually means I mean on the face of it very little because I don't use I don't use Cakewalk software but 
uh, it seems to me that it's been a good thing for Cakewalk. I mean, uh, at least uh, as far as I can as far as I can see on the surface of it, nobody's been complaining about about Roland's involvement with Cakewalk over the last uh, what was it about 2003 when they started distributing uh, yeah, outside of so. the U.S. for them. But they've been. Um, I read someplace on the internet recently that they were involved with. Uh, Roland was involved with Cakewalk since 1995 in distributing their products in Japan. So they've been kind of working hand in hand for a while, and um, they've implemented some of their um, V technology, V synth technology, into Sonar. And I, I know uh, a lot of Sonar users are really happy about that. A lot of people that I know that use Sonar love that, love the uh, features that Roland have brought to the table. Yeah, and also I guess they kind of Roland get access or at least some sort of two-way traffic between you know obviously what's quite a a good think tank of coders and there's some creative minds in there kind of creating some good stuff. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm surprised it's taken this long. Frankly, <laughs> they've kind of you know they've been like you say flirting with each other for an awful long time, been involved with each other. I think I went to I did some Microsoft Stroke Roland Developers Conference back in blimey mid nineties where, you know, they were really starting to kind of work together. So, yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see. It's not a surprise. I mean, I was looking on the forums, and, you know, obviously you've got lots of people moaning, saying, oh, this could be terrible, corporate sellout, all of this kind of stuff. But You know, this this might be off base because it's completely from the gut, but Roland strikes me as a company that has a lot of integrity. And uh, over the years, when you watch the decisions that they've made in the marketplace, it, it looked to me like they they tend to know nine times out of ten what it is they're doing. And yeah. so I, I wonder if, um, you know, you, we're going to speak about another merger coming up and one of those companies swallowed up another company that everybody loved. Uh, I'm being vague and abstract here, but Gibson, you know, swallowing Opcode back in the back in the late 90s and, and taking one of the most beloved sequencers off the market. I, I don't think you'd ever see anything like that from a Roland. No, I don't suppose you would. I don't suppose you would. And I suppose, you know, uh, which is a great link because obviously the other kind of quite shock news in a lot of ways is gibson it's not an acquisition it's 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 stated as a merge with tc electronic now um you know obviously this rings a lot of alarm bells tc electronic are a very innovative company it seems and they've got kind of quite a lot of smart technology uh, and gibson have rather a habit of buying brands and sticking them in the cupboard and and forgetting about it. i mean you know opco being one oberheim being another i'm sure there are others as well but um it's does does that does that ring any alarm bells for anybody, or can anyone see the sense in it? It's going to be very interesting. This is really going to be interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, because TC innovating, you know, they've got a lot of kind of major DSP stuff. They've got the, the I don't know whether Gibson and whether it encompasses the Firewire technology, the Dice Two stuff that is TC Applied Technologies. Um, what they say is uh, the synergy between the two companies will allow us an enormous advantage in the development of new audio technologies and brings together two of the world's most powerful brands. Uh, the merger was completed to create a group with the necessary expertise and market access to take advantage of the trend towards convergence of digital and acoustic technology in the audience, audio industry. The company goal is to produce and distribute the best engineers and most recognised respected brands of high-performance audio products in the world. TC Group is also a leading player in the global speaker audio industry. So it sounds like Gibson... I mean, if you were to read it from a cynical point of view, you could say Gibson don't have any technical expertise internally or that it's certainly not delivering for them properly, so they've bought it. You could view it that way. <laughs> But I suppose it might mean that it might it might well mean that um, 
that it's not a kind of buying a brand and sticking it in the cupboard, I suppose. It, it's actually, they, it fulfills a useful purpose rather than some kind of abstract collection of, of brand names. I mean, Rich, do you use any TC Electronics stuff? Can you see it uh, any kind of areas where they might ho- um, bring things that you haven't got yet that you'd like? Well, I see they've got a lot of products. And uh, the, I used to use the M3000 Reverb and liked it quite a bit. Um, do, uh, this is a little different than acquiring Opcode or yeah, Oberheim. it is a merger, isn't it? Uh, yes, yeah. And TC is a rather large company that also encompasses Tannoy and a bunch of other things. So um, I think uh, I have a somewhat cynical view of this. I think they both kind of needed some uh, other market stimulus from that which they're currently receiving. So, for example, Gibson, who has never really been very successful in electronics, um, no matter how hard they've tried, uh, now gets to be in the electronics world. And TC, who are very clearly in computer hardware and software-based DSP-oriented devices, uh, get to have physical product, you know, guitars and, and, you know, stuff like that. And I think that it makes sense for both companies from that kind of artistic angle, I obviously don't know anything about the financials regarding roland though roland hasn't really been in the software business since the 80s i I remember working on a software uh software sequencer of theirs on a pc in the mid 80s and they kind of dropped that whole thing and never you know seemingly never to reappear that i recall until this acquisition and if you think about it almost all of the major sequencer companies have been acquired at least once by now right that's true uh accepting motu Excepting Motu, as far as I know. Yeah, they but, are uh, pretty independent. They're, there's not much strategic alliance stuff you get out of their press department, I must say. I mean, they're very independent. But clearly, you know, Steinberg's been bought and sold, I don't know how many times, and uh, Logic has obviously been bought up, and now you've got Cakewalk getting bought up, and uh, I guess nobody should be surprised at this point, and the guys who wrote the original software, I'm sure, are uh, riding comfortably these days. I mean, I hope, but it sounds like, you know, nobody's kind of really retiring with Rolls Royces or anything. I mean, I think uh, certainly in Cakewalk situation, uh, it just means that they've got, they've secured funding, you know, and and they've got kind of a a revenue stream. And with, it seems somebody sort of rather cynically suggested that TC just needed the cash. You know, they needed a cash injection because they do guitar stuff as well, don't they? Do they? Oh, yeah, yeah, maybe guitar pedal type. Yeah, floor pedals and whatnot. And voice processors and that sort of thing, which Uh, is kind of... Helicon, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mark, weren't you a Helicon guy at one point? I was. I love the TC Helicon thing. I seem to recall you showing me a Helicon once. I did some really cool things with that thing, and uh, one of which is that Dandy Dandy Warhol's record has lots of that all over it. The Mm -hmm. Welcome to the Monkey House is that the stuff that is that the voice processing things? Yeah, it's brilliant. Because I was wondering about this because. because, you know, with touring bands, obviously, you know, you get the situation where you, you, do, you, you can't necessarily afford uh, three or four or five backing vocals. And I was wondering whether or not you just hire one backing vocalist and have them drive the helicon so they become the section. Is that a feasible thing or is it too, is it too fiddly or not good enough? What, what would you say? Uh, yeah, it's probably feasible. They'd all sound a bit like each other, though, wouldn't they? Yeah, and you'd I have to work at, You'd have to program the scale into it. The, and make sense of that. Right. I, mean, I suppose you could control the whole thing via MIDI off of a exactly. sequencer and then have one backing vocal si- vocalist sing into it. And you can change men into women much more convincingly than anything else I've played around with, I think. And you can add, you can Apart- add grit and 
gravel to people's voices, and that's where it gets really cool. Ah, you well, maybe you, know, uh, you make hmm. someone go from soft to rock just by turning a knob. Now, there's a make gig. So there's a gig for somebody. Backing vocal- back vocalist with a special a specialization in helicon. You know, how many people do you need? I can come and be, you know, two or three of them. I've actually Digital done Union this. You've that done that, Rich, have you? Yeah, with a Digitech vocalist in the mid-90s. Yeah, I did a couple of gigs with David Lee Roth as a background vocalist, and I had a Digitech vocalist and a MIDI keyboard in front of me. And uh, I was both singing and controlling Digitech vocalist from the keyboard. Ah, okay. That's another cool toy. I um, If you listen to uh, the first track on the Medazaland album, I managed to make Nick sing with that thing. Nick can't sing at all, nor can his girlfriend. And the TV Mania thing, I managed to make her... Um, well, she came and sang completely out of time and totally out of tune, and I fixed her and basically used that thing to sort of create a very convincing-sounding voice long before auto-tune turned up, I suppose. They're both really the good. The demos they have at... Um, on, you, know, we, you know, Dave, you'll probably agree with me. And, and PJ, you must have experienced the... Uh, now you've been to NAM the uh, TC Electronics Helicon demonstration <laughs> coming oh, at yeah. you. I mean, it's, it's like wall-to-wall vocals, isn't it? They always do kind mm-hmm. of... There's usually a solo person in, uh, with an acoustic guitar singing sort of quite complicated section work. I mean, that's the way they tend to do it. So maybe... You know, that'll boost boost that kind of technology. Before we move on, I just want to say um, a shout-out to Tara Callahan, who was the marketing and PR lady from uh, Roland US for, uh, I think, seven or eight years at least, and uh, she's now left. She's gone to uh, New York to pursue a, a new life, and we just want to v- wish her very well. I don't know if she'll ever listen to this, but uh, if you are listening to it, get in touch, because I've done that video for you, um, the, your farewell video. So, um, mergers and acquisitions, that we could quickly move on to, um, obviously, you know, the big, 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 big news is Microsoft bidding for Yahoo. I mean, I know it's not strictly music tech, but it's such a huge deal. I mean, surely it's going to have ramifications for people like us at some point. I think it's good for Google. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's been, there's been as, as you know, there's just endless punditry on this, so we won't spend too long on it. But um, I think basically the principle was... Hotmail and Yahoo Mail collectively uh, have about f- over 500 million subscribers. So uh, I think that kind of leverages what they're looking at. I mean, it's around $50 billion they're looking to buy it for, isn't it? Something like that. Mm-hmm. And it, I just kind of, it, it makes you wonder how on earth you're going to merge those two companies. You know, who gets hired, who gets fired? Do you use Windows or Linux as you're operating? You know, I mean, just, God, can you imagine managing that? Well, and they're two very corporate, two different corporate cultures that are located in two very different locations, and they're both very location centric. So it'll be <clears throat> interesting to see how all of that comes out in the wash. Has there been uh, any more news on it? Because I mean, all I've heard is that it's being approached. Has any, does anyone know if it's being sort of viewed favorably, or has anybody heard any more on that? My partner works in IT, and she's her, she's of the opinion from things she's overheard that bill gates is doing it because he's a nice guy and that yahoo are basically crumbling and falling and he's decided that he's got enough money to go and save the company yeah but he's out of there i mean he's not involved mm-hmm. anymore he's gone he's not quite out of there yet is he, he hasn't no i think it, is it june I think or he's got not, yeah yeah i think he's so well, you think it's his last his last philanthropic well, <laughs> That's the rumour going around the IT industry anyway, that Bill Gates has bought it out basically because he, he's a nice guy. That's what, what's <laughs> <Right>. going around. <laughs> wow. 
that's that's an interesting one. I, I, do you think it will make any difference to us? I mean, will, Dave. I mean, as a developer, do you think will it make any difference? I mean, or is it going to be very much all the kind of actions going to be happening outside of the field that would kind of affect you, or do you think it will affect maybe the Vista audio drivers and all of that kind of nonsense? Um, all I can say is, dear Bill, we're a couple of very nice guys. <laughs> Um, <laughs> want to buy I'd a podcast re- I'd really like an office with a window please <laughs> can you fix it for me fancy yeah. the west coast there Dave well it'd be Maybe. very nice not, not Seattle it's, well actually I could put up with Seattle it rains about as much as it does over here I have absolutely no opinion on this whatsoever I'm afraid sorry I don't use Yahoo and I hardly use any Microsoft products there's various kind of trains of thought that is going to fragment the company because they'll spend so much time messing around figuring out who works on what team that the co- the company will sort of fragment and become separate divisions again like with Mike, which a lot of people are saying that's actually a really good idea rather than just this one big microsoft you'll have you know there'll be an applications division there'll be this you know and it'll be much more separate bit that'll turn into separate businesses which would be good but I don't know. It'll be interesting. It's going to shake things up if it happens. I don't know if it is going to happen. There doesn't seem to have been a response from the Yahoo people yet. Let's move quickly on to uh, our latest uh, Synthesis series, which is Inside Synthesis. Um, there's no link. I- I'm only because um, William H., who's, who's the guy who's been putting them together, has done a fabulous job, and particularly with uh, FM Synthesis. I don't know if you've had a chance to check it. It... it it really explained it. I mean, I kind of like to think I know a bit about it, but I didn't. I realised how much I didn't know, even on this basic level about FM synthesis. And uh, um, I just wanted to use this opportunity a to plug some of our content, but b to kind of maybe have a broader discussion about FM. But uh, did anyone see, has anyone seen it? And what do they think? Brilliant! I was very very impressed. In fact, I sent it to about four or five people a couple of days ago and went check this. And I used to know Dave Bristow and had many a conversation with him about the whole FM game. Um, if I remember correctly, they voiced the DX7 something like 24 hours before it was um, first being shown, which must have been pretty amazing to hear that on every number one record ever since then. <laughs> John, John Bowen was actually telling me about that, that they, <clears throat> they got a guy from France who was completely blind who programmed the DX7 in three weeks. Wow. They, sh- they shipped one out to him. They had no presets for it. He had no idea what the operating system was like. He got in there and just did it all by ear. There are all sorts of stories, because I heard a different one, which was that uh, Bristow got the call, say, come out, we've got a new synth. He had 10 days. They flew him to Japan. He'd never seen it before. They put it in front of it, and he had to come up with all those sounds, and that was it. Those were the presets. So and it's, I think... What's the real story? Yeah, it's, it's kind of... It's, it's interesting that it's reached this legendary status. There are all these sort of urban <laughs> myths about it. Does anyone use FM? Is there, anywhere, is there any place in your life for it? I don't often use it, but I really like having the Native Instruments emulations. Uh, they sound great. And uh, I I like it for the things it's good at, always have. And I uh, don't mind playing around with it. I, I don't mind playing around in it and in that original Yamaha structure much, but I prefer analog subtractive as a playground for me. But I do enjoy using it for the things it's good at, which are plucked and clangorous and things with sharp attacks and things with tons of high-end content and that, that kind of thing. I do enjoy having it. I, do I ever use it? Pretty much no. And never in the classic DX ballad Rhodes kind of sense. Oh, please. You, are, you didn't. You've never done a, 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 an R&B Rhodes piano. I didn't say never have. I just said, don't I never ever will. intend to again. 
<laughs> that, hopefully the last time will have been the last time. Do you think do you think FM suffers from the fact that the in, nobody's actually got the programming interface very very kind of well together? I mean, Native Instruments did a pretty good job, but do you think it suffers from the it, the fact that it's so mathematical and yet it's hard to kind of get a more organic hands-on interface to it? I used to use a Dr. T's editor on the Atari, so I had every parameter sitting there in front of me all visible all at the same time and could see how they're interacting with each other and it also did visual representations of the way all the operators were interacting and how the just this isn't the 31 different ways of connecting the six operators or something yeah i think so i used to sit there and program it for hours and hours and hours and in the end i decided that the best way to program it was to take loads of drugs sit in front of the screen and press random and then I then then I just discovered that, and I don't know if this really was happening or not, but it seemed like it was. If I sat in front of the computer and I meditated while on drugs, and thought about the kind of sound that I wanted to get out of it, and then pressed random, quite often I'd get exactly the sound that I was thinking. Wow! <laughs> so but it may be that I was only thinking of FM-style sounds because I was sitting, and you know, because I wasn't thinking zone. of. I know I'll make it sound like a, a Formula Ford, you know, racing down towards a chicane with its, you know, accelerator flat out or whatever. I didn't think of any. I probably was thinking, I know. I think of a bell. I wonder if it'll make a bell. Wow, it has. Man, yeah. that's really <laughs> Must have been a revelation. <laughs> Note to Native Instruments, a new interface. Yeah. Iser. <laughs> yeah. Some great bass sounds as well. I mean, you know, Mark, you, all those kind of house records, there was loads of bass action from the FM stuff. Did you not get, did you use it for that? I did. There was one sound called disc bass, I think, yeah. which is uh, uh, a sound that I used for loads of things. And it's got, it's got, so many frequencies in it that it cuts through everything and it sounds really good it's it's sort of like the fm version of the 909 kick except you can play tunes with it so yes i used that sound a lot on yeah. everything fm it's quite good but there was that giant thing wasn't there there was that giant controller remember that it's blue thing german company uh, i wonder if there are any of those in existence they must be a bit of a secret weapon i'd imagine yeah or not. I mean, the problem is, is whenever I got into it, you kind of go, oh, I'll just change that parameter. And it just bears, well, as soon as you get into the operators and, and changing the frequency of those and the interrelationships, it just changes everything so radically. It's quite difficult to get your head around. I do know that um, Dave Gamson used um, DX7 with Minimoog to do a lot of their bass lines to kind of add that front end punch. That sounds like a really good idea. I bet that sounded great, actually. Mm. Was it the SY77 that they brought out? That's when that the FM thing started to make more sense for me because if I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I sort of vaguely remember that the FM side of the SY77 was still rooted through a resonant filter. I think that's so right. It could, was like a hybrid you could have thing. Have the wasn't best it? of both things going on, and that that sounded quite good. But actually, I must check out an SY77 because I know Will from Goldfrapp's got one, and people are always going on about how great they are. You know, exponents of synthesis. So I must um, must try one one day. Hmm. Mm. PJ, you've been quiet. Is FM something that you're um, you're you're not you're averse to, or that? Um... Uh, no, not at all. Um, oh, one second here. My headphones have come out. 
I haven't been listening to a word you said. <laughs> no, I haven't heard anything. Sorry? <laughs> no, Sorry. I, uh, well, I've never, the- I've never actually owned one of the one of the Yamaha FM synths, but uh, a couple studios that I worked in in the '90s had them, and would I'd occasionally use some of the presets on on recording dates and whatnot. Uh, but I never got, I've never gotten into actually programming FM until recently. Uh, the Thor synthesizer in Reason Four has an FM oscillator. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, with that, and that's uh, it's um, not as complex as as all as mm. all get out or anything like that. But it's uh, that's it's probably a good thing. Yeah. With, yeah. yeah, I've always liked the the um, effect that you get when you when you modulate frequency when you when you take something and and uh, <clears throat> you know mod- modulate a, a rhythmic part up into the audio range or that. That type of thing. I think it's an interesting sound. Okay, cool. Well, um, it seems yeah, it seems like Yamaha kind of seemed to do the math stuff very well. The FM synthesis obviously is you know one of their big ones, and also digital consoles. Strange that maybe there's some sort of lesson there somewhere. I don't know. Sonic Talk, sponsored by Yamaha Music Production, producers of the world's most popular digital mixing consoles, accurate professional studio monitoring systems. Incredibly realistic and portable digital stage pianos, the versatile motif range of music production synthesizers, and the latest N-series digital mixing studios, featuring the cleanest signal pump and full Cubase AI4 integration. www.yamahasynth.com Sonic Talk. Anyway, um, let's move on. The other thing, uh, we, we were going to get and uh, have a bit of Mac love at the moment, because obviously um, while we've been out of action, there's been a new Mac laptop in in terms of the Airbook, which is a super skinny kind of uh, object of desire. I don't know if anybody actually desires one, because we're all kind of, we tend to need kind of fairly big hard drives and CPU kind of capacities. I wonder whether any of these, whether this is going to appeal to any of us. I mean, I like the look of it, but I can't imagine that um, an 80 gig hard drive is going to get me very far or even a 64 gig solid state drive. But uh, I could be wrong. Would anyone, would anyone um, consider getting one of those or has anyone got one? No, don't have one. What's this solid state drive? A 60 gig, 64 gig, uh, gigabyte solid state. So there's no moving parts. So presumably Brilliant. the battery life is, you know, ex- is is huge. One would hope. Mm, I don't know about that, but, but it's um, going to cost you two turns, grand. If you if you drop it on the kitchen table like I did with my power book, you won't kill the hard drive, right? No. That'll be the one thing that won't go, Mark. Yes. How far can you drop it before the hard drive breaks? You know, it didn't. It didn't actually say in the specifications. <laughs> it wasn't one of the bullet points in the sales blurb. But third floor window. Yeah, maybe you should look at it. But um, yes, and Rich, um, this sort of garnered another conversation. Which you're looking into this whole main stage thing, which is uh, the reason that you also got your uh, Apogee duet. And uh, how are you finding that? Because I've been working with a band recently that have, have moved all of their stuff from Akai S five thousands. They're just now running. They're running basically three Mac Minis live, and it seems to be holding up pretty well. Well, I haven't done it yet, ah. <laughs> but I mean, I've prepared it all. I just haven't actually fit, done it, and I can't tell you anything about reliability. But I got a, uh, I got an SATA drive into a little tiny FireWire enclosure, and uh, I got this Apogee Duet, and I put the sound libraries on the drive, and I launched, booted up main stage, and I had prepared most of the programming in my main DAW at the studio. 
and loaded things up and started working with it. And uh, I think that the main stage software is pretty brilliant and uh, remarkably easy to operate from a organizational standpoint and uh, very easy to map controls to parameters and volume knobs and whatever else you wanted, just incredibly easy. And uh, I'm quite encouraged by the possibility of doing it, and I quite enjoy the software. And as relates to Leopard, I think it's pretty cool, and I have been actually, I've had my my lunch saved by Time Machine one day, uh, so I can actually relate an incident where I got some data back that I had lost. Oh, well, that's cool. So uh, I kind of, I'm kind of enthused by it all. Do you think main stage main stage pulled a bit? Of, do you think that's a bit of a masterstroke? Because I mean, there must be lots and lots of bands out there who've all got these kind of disparate solutions on how you know they got hardware samplers and you know all of these things are falling to bits and they're getting very old. You can't get spares, you can't get replacements, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, well, the re- the reliability will be the issue because I've got a friend who's gone out with the Muse Research and uh, you know the receptor. Yeah, which I think is the logical predecessor of this kind of that's the kind was kind of a first device i think you know a rack mounted computer that'll run all your plugins yeah and uh it works you know it worked very well and uh i think it was very successful i think apple does have a great thing here because they're selling it to people who already have the hardware that they need to run it on mostly i think all we need is some very very clever person who can pull osx apart and turn it into its absolute basic 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 format and you have like a specific musical operating system that only does anything to do with music and you rip out all of the networking and all of the stuff that's going to cause things to fall over and have a sort of a you know like basically basic <coughs> linux runs things really well and is stable right. so so that's you, can what click, you can just say which said. modules you want and yeah yeah so if you only had if you didn't have any finder at all you only were running main stage on your computer surely that would work much more stably and reliably than running the whole of well, our I mean one, one of the downsides to main stage and this is this is uh, something that I've noticed when with the, with the transition over from logic if you're working in logic with instruments you can only edit like EXS or other um, logic based instruments from within logic you can't just launch them from within main stage which does seem like a bit of a shame because that way you could save your your preset and just work on the kind of the set as it was rather than have to have two separate environments and all of that kind of business i don't oh, know, if I that, I didn't that, know that. that's a little bit of it i don't quite know what that means i i can't disbelieve it but i i have looked at exs 24 in front of me in main stage you know with a full set of parameters in the window but if you want to actually put them together and edit the thing so if you're changing sample mappings or that kind of stuff it's my understanding that you have to do that from within logic oh yeah maybe maybe actually the sample mapping stuff yeah I tend to use it as a player, I have to admit. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Dave, you, you kind of, we did a thing with Logic 7, uh, Logic 8 with you, you know, way back when it first came out. I mean, if you were, you were sort of interested in the main stage thing. Does it, um, has it, has it come in useful yet? Not yet, no, only because I'm still running a, quite an old G5 for my main rig, mm. and it's really not up for the job. But I am looking at the, um, the new Mac. Oh, what, the 8-core? Yeah, amazing price, and loads of people I know have been uh, have taken the plunge. And really? So I'm kind of getting feedback, which ranges from absolutely brilliant to catastrophic. <laughs> Sounds about <laughs> par for the course, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> A very, very, very nice sound designer said that he's been so frustrated with it he wants to throw it out the window. But everybody else has said 
it's been good. So I think it's yeah. the same with everyone. I mean, PJ. I mean, not. To, I don't want you to feel left out here because I know you're a PC guy, but you could get a Mac and run, you know, your PC stuff on it if you wanted to pay the premium for having a nice shiny aluminium case, of course. But um, I don't know if there's the, there are any other uh, equivalents in in PC land apart from you know. Well, there aren't. I mean, the receptor runs on a Linux engine, so there's. I don't think there's anything equivalent to the sort of main stage kind of live performance thing. That you can no, run. and and I I really wish there was. I've been configuring Ableton Live for this very purpose, you know, trying to to come up with the definitive live set to be able to take on the stage. And, right. Uh, it's frustrating. It's I mean it's it's a great program and it and it it will do it for me. But uh, having something that's uh, as easy to program as main stage would be wonderful on the PC side of things. Hmm. Yeah, well, um, I'm sure it'll come. I mean, maybe one day, you know, OS X will just run on any old hardware. Who knows? But no, because I, 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 I was sceptical with Mainstage, and I was kind of, I, we, when we came to planning this sort of whole production thing, I've not been involved in the production of this particular show, but I was kind of brought on at the beginning to discuss the possibilities. And uh, so far, it seems to be working very well. And because it's Mac Minis as well, rather than laptops, which uh, Mac Minis are obviously much cheaper to replace if anything goes down. What happens when one crashes? Are they, are they running more than one? There are three in the show, so I guess they've probably all got everything on them, but I don't know. Right. I don't think they have been. I mean, that's the whole point. They've been working in rehearsals, and they seem to have been okay, because the thing about Mac Minis is they don't get that hot, they haven't got many moving bits, and they, you, yeah. know, you stick enough RAM in them, and they seem to kind of be able to cope. What, what's the current processor speed of the Mac Minis, Nick? Have they been uh, keeping ooh, up? Uh, I think... You, I think they got. Are they up to two point four now, or are they just still two? I don't. Are these cor- a core two? Yeah. yeah. Okay. He's going to buy one, isn't he? PJ, are you feeling tempted? Uh, you can always run Windows po- on it, it. It's possible. What's that? I can, can run, run Windows on it. Yeah. yeah. What is there any? Uh, I know we've talked about this before, but is is there any noticeable um, drain running the Windows emulation? No, you can actually yes. partition. You can't. Different- you can't. Um, uh, well, only if you're running them at the same time. There's not if if you run it as a Windows machine. I've got a two point two gigahertz laptop power uh, MacBook Pro, and when I run them at the same time, I don't have any problems at all. I'm not running out of processing power. So I think well, I don't know what you intend to do with it, but it, it does seem to work fine for me. So I think there's more processing even if it is only running in a single core than you imagine. If you know what I'm saying, right? Okay. I, w- I think I would use it primarily as a live machine mm. at, the, at this point if I yeah. if I did go that route. So I've what? just uh, I've just set one up to run both operating systems. A uh, it's a previous generation Core Duo, uh, one point six six gigahertz, and it's running fine. Uh, I run it with boot camp, and so I'm only running one at a time. But it seems remarkably stable running Windows, uh, more so perhaps than the PC I have at work. Wonderful. Actually, I've got something to add to what I just said. Uh, when I'm running them both at the same time, I'm only using it for um, Fruity Pro, which I'm uh, doing all of the programming in step, or I'm using it for edit edits in Acid or right. for running SoundForge. <clears throat> the moment you try and make MIDI work when you've got uh, Windows running at the same time as OS X, it all goes horribly wrong. <laughs> so basically, you've got such a ridiculous delay between yeah. playing anything on the keyboard and it coming out the speaker. It's Real-time like- stuff is tricky, but I think what PJ, you were probably asking, was if you are booted as a PC only, there's no OS X layer. What's yes. this? No. But if you're booted... 
But if you boot it as a PC only, it's like using a PC, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. You don't have yeah, I, I, there's just a little. There's a little bit of squiffiness because obviously, if you've got a Mac keyboard, you've got to just kind of get your head round right clicks and things. But there's, it's uh, pretty basic. It's pretty. There's a couple of caveats, but uh, we don't want to make this too much of a Mac love fest. But um, um, considering Apple don't yet sponsor the podcast, um, although we'll be happy to take their money, um, it seems unlikely. Sonic State the handheld recorders because i thought that was kind of uh, there, there seemed to be a kind of an enormous glut of them at this this year's nam and um obviously there's the microtrack 2 from m audio which we we know about it's a few improvements what have you but the the big one or oh, the big two i thought was did any the yamaha handheld recorder which was absolutely microscopic it's about the size of um three pencils side by side i would say even is that it does it record full bandwidth yeah. full on audio does yes, it yes it does right. I used to have a little Sony thing about the same size as that, which but it used to compress the sound quite a lot, and you'd often you'd often see me in South London with the uh, with with it switched on, tapping the tops of phone boxes because <laughs> like really? oh that's a good sound. So I'd love to have something like that. But, it's but, called a Pocket Track Two G, and it's got two gigabytes built in, so you don't need to, you know. There's plenty of RAM in there, basically. Um, what else? I, I, I had a little demo of it and it's just because when you look at the picture, you think, you know, you have a notion in your head of how big you think it probably is. Yeah. But literally I, I'd say two fingers, two fingers wide. If you've got small fingers, that's really, really tiny. And yeah. it's got a nifty thing at the bottom where you slide out the USB connector. So you just plug it directly into the computer. Oh, cool. Which is so it's a full size USB connector. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily want to stick it on the front of a computer because it would snap off easily. But you get a little cable with it, and it's well, got like my Logic key. <laughs> that, that's the sort of thing. No, it's even worse because this is kind of it's five longer. inches long and heavier. But it's also got a um, what's it? It's got a little speaker in it as well. Oh, cool! Now so you can just really quickly cool. check, you know, that you've got something. It's not obviously perfect, but it's a little tiny speaker. And the other thing, it's got um, the 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 microphones are, pa- uh, are placed on the top of the unit which, you know, if you put it down on the table, um, you're going to get boundary effect or whatever. But it, they actually flip to 90 degrees as well, so you can stand them up so it comes off the, the surface. It's like a kind of quite a nice bit of um, thought has gone into that. But does anyone really need a handheld? Why, why do you think there are so many of these things around? Do you think it's just because someone's made a chip that's made it possible? Or do we actually, as a society, desire more choice in the handheld recording market? What, do you, what, what is going on? Do you think it's just because there's so many people gathering content for things that they just think that's it? I mean, I don't know. Rich, are you? Is there room in your life for a handheld recorder? I'm quite sure there is. I don't have any particular purpose in mind for one or anything. <laughs> but but I have a buddy, and in fact, I was just dialing up an email to tell him about this thing because I got a buddy who walks around with a voice recorder all the time just to to remind himself of appointments and even even on that level, this thing is cool. Because he can not just bang at four hundred and forty nine bucks. It's not well, though. not just for that, not just for that. But if he's got a well, plus it's not going to actually cost that in America. I don't believe. But, no, probably um, the street price would be a lot less. I would think. Yeah, um, but I get your point. And if it were only for that, the device he's got now is fine. But I just thought he might be interested to see this thing. Um, it looks like a really nice product to me. I wish it had a card slot rather than fixed memory. That's all. I wish I didn't have to live in two gigabytes. I'd like to be, if, if I can so, you know, afford, I'd like to be able to live in 16 gigabytes or whatever. Well, then you, know. you could at least use it as some sort of data. You'd have it as a, as a USB dongle as well, you know, and kind of put whatever your file transfers or whatever on it as well, I suppose, you, which you can do anyway, yeah. but uh, with only two gigs, I suppose that's right. 
we use handheld recorders. You know, I use them a lot because when I'm doing shows, I need to record audio, and I use use one for for the uh, for the podcast as a backup recording, um, which is a Zoom H4, by the way, um, as I've said before. But the thing about the, these really tiny ones, it, while they're so wonderful, I mean, you plug a stereo jack in it, and that with the lead is probably three or four times heavier than the unit you're plugging it into. So any kind of sort of non-secure or slippage and it's just going to go flying and that's the thing that worries me about these really teeny light ones even though it's very desirable and the fact that you you look like a bit of a pillock (laughs) what do you mean (laughs) well you know you've got a big cable going into something so tiny it's very kind of alan partridge yeah exactly the the cables are bigger than the unit yeah i like the zoom h4 as well as you know i've got a zoom h4 as well I like the fact that it looks like a cattle prod. Yeah, it looks like a the, taser, uh, doesn't it? Yeah. Take the foam off it and walk into a room with it. At, like, I'll walk into it. I went and recorded a whole load of ambience in Halfords, and I got some really weird looks from people. <laughs> yeah, but you could look like the noise police as well. It looks like one of those decibel meters, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Yeah, yeah very much so. But the other thing that was looking good was the Ediroll R44, which is a ah. four-channel one. Now, that looks very sweet, because it's yeah. probably it looks like it's only a couple of it's like the size of two H4s, maybe three H4s, and it's a four-channel, and it's um, I think the main the, the 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 retail price is nine hundred bucks, so it's an expensive item, but it's a four ch- four discrete channels recorder. Do you mean it's got four inputs as well? Then it's four inputs, yeah, four four oh, right. channels simultaneously recording. Ah. up to ninety six k. Yeah, up to ninety six k. A pair of mics built in. Um, which are presumably on a par with the ones in the little R09, which is another Ederol handheld record, with, which everybody which, I've spoken to who uses those says they're brilliant. I'm PJ, you've got one of those, and you and it did. Yeah, sound as a matter of br- fact, the entire content for podcast number seventy two was all done on the R09, and it sounds wicked. It really does sound yeah. nice. It's great for words, isn't it? It's great for voice. It, it's got a fant, and I recorded that all at um, just one ninety two MP3. I didn't even record full band with 24-bit, and I thought it sounded pretty good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Hey, Nick, what? can I ask you something about this uh, report on the website you've got here? Yeah. In the text, it says sampling frequencies 44.1 through 96K, and in the bottom, it says key features up to uncompressed 24-bit 192K. Hmm. Can, to right. uncompressed 24-bit 192K linear PCM stereo. I mean, you know, I was thinking, ah, all right, maybe that's mono. probably. That might that's be it. Why, Maybe yeah. that's it. It'll only be two channels. Stereo, oh, in just in stereo track. rather than in four track. Right. I got it. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes but sense. Yeah. So the Microtrack and the Yamaha and the um, and the Ederol are all new uh, sort of handheld or, or portable type recorders. Um, you can see news of them on the website. I just wanted to say, and it's kind of an odd thing to be talking about, but I've gotten hold of one of these new Apple keyboards, these aluminum things with the white buttons on top. Oh, yeah. And, uh, just cool. It's wonderful. I love this thing. I, I bought them and put them all over the place. Are they wireless or are they USBs? They make them both ways. That rather than have all the keys together with a sort of gap underneath, the, the, the keys all sort of have their own slot. Is that right? Yeah, it's kind of similar to the chiclet keys you find on the MacBook, except in a nice solid aluminum base. And uh, there's really not a very deep, there's hardly any throw to them at all in terms of the depth, you know, the key depth, as we would say on piano. Um, it's, it's just really a tapping experience. And it's, uh, I love this thing. Just yeah, bought man. one. 
And does it make your ta- does it make your typing quieter, quieter and faster? Yeah, me too. I'm like, and well, I'm more re- and I'm more accurate. Quite um, low cost as well, aren't they? They're not terribly expensive. Bucks. Yeah, fifty bucks. I mean, that's expensive for a keyboard, but for a nice keyboard, that doesn't seem like an awful lot of money. It makes my life better. I'm happy to spend fifty bucks to make my life better. Is it Bluetooth this thing? I believe there is a yes, a Bluetooth version. I haven't used the Bluetooth one. I'm using the wired ones. But uh, I, assuming that the hardware is the same, it's just a wonderful typing experience for me, for my fingers. You can use, uh, I mean, obviously you can use it with Mac or PCs, can't you? I mean, there's no kind of, mm. they're agnostic when it comes to that. I want one I can use with my phone. I know that sounds like a mad thing to say, but I, I know what you're saying. I don't necessarily want to cart my laptop around with me all the time. And if I had a keyboard tucked in the glove compartment of the car or bigger, wherever it could sit in the car... Sometimes you have an idea while you're out and about and you want to put all that information in a phone and by the time you've typed it in with those stupid number bloody pads, you've forgotten what you were thinking about. Yeah, I, <laughs> so I, if I had something I could just... <laughs> I, could make a, you know, I could make a note in the phone and then send it back to my computer when I got home. That's a good idea. I did try, I've, got a, I've got a Dell Bluetooth one that I had with uh, one of the many PDAs I've been through over the years uh, and I couldn't get that to hook up. Like you're talking about your Nokia, I presume, the yeah, M95. I am, yeah. Yeah, I think you probably can, but um, I haven't got this one to work yet. I think you just I mean, need I've got to... the voice recorder in there, but I don't always want to stand there talking about my mad ideas, like if I'm in the middle of the gym or something. Yeah, but you're not going to want to whip out a keyboard. That would be even weirder, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> but I must, I must admit, whenever I ever put anything in the voice recorder, I never ever listen back to it. So I've got hours and hours of all these ideas that i've had in there and i've never listened to them so well i used to have a uh, portable folding keyboard it it went down to about i don't know an inch and a half thick and maybe six inches tall by four inches wide that i used to use with a palm pilot yeah they and were I used cracking to, it was terrible keyboard but uh i kept a whole road journal once on this thing. yeah was, yeah I, I remember when oh. i first went to nam um we made the mistake of say, staying in santa monica which was kind of not a mistake because it was a lovely place to stay compared to disneyland but it meant a sort of 75-mile oh, round-trip commute yeah. every day. And I would be sat in the back of this, um, uh, this the, the, the car that we hired while one of the guys drove back with my, with my Palm Pilot or my handspring visor and this tiny little keyboard just trying to desperately trying to brain-dump all of the stuff that I could remember from the day. It, was not mm-hmm. an efficient, it wasn't an efficient way to work, but I felt really kind of um, cutting edge, you know, sitting in the back of the car typing with this thing. And I, I like the idea of a foldable keyboard because a keyboard, you know, is a good input device. And there's no denying it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so what we need to know is a, a general Bluetooth keyboard for a mobile phone. Maybe the Apple one would work, but it would probably be a bit too big, but a foldable one. So if anyone out there has got any suggestions, please do send them in. Yeah, hmm. please, yeah. It needs to be it needs to be waterproof as well, so that when I'm in the gym, right. sweating, Is sweating your, and typing. How on earth are you going to type while you're jogging or whatever? I mean, that's just so you're going to end up with gobbledygook. <laughs> Wear a headband and some and some of those things around your wrists, so that you don't the sweat doesn't drip down to your hands. I I don't want to imagine this. Let's just stop now. Well, thank you um, for that, and uh, thank you for this week. Uh, it's been good to get get the gang together again um thank you mr dave spears from g4 software thank you very much and don't forget that competition just go to g4 software and click or you can click on one of the ads on um, on any of our videos that might show up um which will take you to the competition as well and make us look good yay so mark thank you 
It's been a wonderful day, and I'm glad um, your your son seems to have been transfixed with uh, with cars, and I hope he's going to be all right. He's incredibly quiet, isn't he? Yeah, I'm I'm letting the uh, uh, the piece of it all. Uh, you know, wash I'm over you, running into a false sense of security yeah. here. It's, it's all going to go crazy. Bad in a minute. Yeah, but actually, I'm going to go in the garden with five cans of matte black spray and paint my Honda Dax now. Whoa, cool! Going to go and spray a motorcycle. Well, I wish yeah. you luck, and um, careful you don't inhale too much of it. Ah, yes. And uh, PJ Tracy from Minneapolis, thank you once again. Um, it's been fun this week, and I'm glad um, you're warmer. Oh, thanks, Nick. I really appreciate it. As always, I walk away richer for the experience. Oh, gee. That's such a nice thing to say, PJ. I almost believe you. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> and Rich Hilton from Connecticut, thank you very much um, for joining us this week, and it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. It has been a lot of fun. And uh, for anybody at Apple or Apogee listening, go to Hiltonius.com to find out where to send the check. Yeah. <laughs> and while you're at it, you can write one for us, too. So that's it for this week. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, please do get in touch if you've got something to add or something to say. We can take email, soniktalk.sonicstate.com, or you can contact us via Skype at the handle is soniktalk. And uh, we've also got a couple of phone numbers which you can view in the show notes, because if I say them now, I'm bound to get them wrong. Uh, thanks for listening. That's it. Sonic State. Not